Hi, I'm Helen Wright, and I am a rugby coach. I believe that sport can be an excellent medium for the growth and development of human beings. But, like all things in this world, the only constant is change. I believe that sport delivery and coaching in sport has to change to adapt to the changing world around it. This podcast is about sport and coaching and change. What has changed about coaching female athletes or male athletes, athletes who identify differently than that? What has changed about coaching children or adults? What has changed? How will we change? Let's begin the discussion. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final podcast for 2023. Just to update you, I have produced 10 podcasts over the past year, and I produce one podcast a month, and I shoot to get it out by the 24th of every month. I have no idea who or how many are listening to these podcasts, but I must tell you that I am enjoying the hell out of this opportunity to talk about my favorite subjects, which are sport and coaching. So I've come to realize that these podcasts are not just for coaches of sport. They're appropriate to parents and players and coaches and administrators and just people in general. And I know it might sound a bit big-headed, but I'm realizing that I'm, I'm a pretty wise old bird with a whole lot of experience. And like everyone else on this planet, I kind of didn't realize that until I started to tell everyone my story and my thoughts. And sometimes when I listen to my own podcasts, I think, yeah, that's right, Helen, that's right. But to be clear, me thinking something is right does not make it so. But I think I can make a pretty good case for most of the stuff that I put out there. So having convinced you of my wisdom, I want to talk to you today about winning. Now, I wrote a book about my story and my lessons called Barefoot Flying, and I dedicated a whole chapter to the concept of valuing the performance rather than the outcome. Winning is an addiction that affects all of humanity. And it all started pretty logically with war. And since the beginning of time, the outcomes of war have been very relevant to life. The impact of losing a battle or a war is and was and still is significant. Death being the obvious example of a negative outcome. That absolute aversion to losing has translated over time into our consciousness so much so that the joy of winning is much less of a motivator than the fear of losing. This obsession that we have with winning and losing has completely colored our outlook on just about anything we do or participate in. And we have translated the achievement of success with winning. We have translated a verb into a noun. So if you win, you're a winner. And if you lose, you are a loser. And in the process of working tirelessly and endlessly to achieve wins, we've lost sight of the potential joy of simple performance. Usually, when we start doing something and we keep doing it, 
It's because we enjoy it. It gives us joy. So why are we so focused on the winning and losing rather than the enjoyment and the excellence of our performance? We know what it feels like to do something really well. And we know what that feels like, that people call it like being in the zone. That is a real bliss feeling. But so then why are we so focused on, on, on the outcomes? Well, because that's what we were told. That's what we're led to believe. It's an old paradigm and it's based on fear, fear of losing, fear of not winning. And if you think about the logic of that, it's a bit overwhelming. So right off the bat, 50% of all people who participate are going to be losers. That's just the nature of competition. Then if we add to that the various levels of competition, everyone who is knocked out of the competition is also a loser. So at the end of the day, 99% of us are losers and 1% are winners. It makes complete sense that one of the biggest diseases that humanity is encountering is our debilitating negative self-judgment. We hate ourselves for being losers, and we begin to do anything that is required to be winners. Lance Armstrong wrote a book called It's Not About the Bike. But then later, we find out that, yeah, well, it wasn't about the race either. It was about him doing whatever he had to do to win. But the good news is that we can change our perspectives. We can change how we perceive ourselves and everyone around us. We can change our mind about how we define success. And we can focus on the joy of participating, of playing and the joy of performance, rather than on an outcome that we may or may not have any control over. Now, I'm not saying don't compete. I'm just saying don't define yourself by the outcome of the, of the competition. You don't have any control over, the, over many of the conditions of that competition. The referee, the weather, the timing, injuries... All of these things that you don't have any control over. So why would you put all your money on the outcome? Because you, you, you can't control it. And so why not enjoy the ride? So I, I want to tell you a story that I borrowed from Stuart McLean, who is my all-time favorite author and storyteller. It is about the 1945 World Hockey Championships. Now, if you look this up on Wikipedia, they will tell you that the Allen Cup was not played in 1945 and that no Canadian team attended the World Championships. Stewart, however, claims that his resources are the old coal miners of Cape Breton who won the Allen Cup in Montreal that year and traveled to Bergen, Norway. So, according to Stewart, what happened on the ice in that tournament is the reason it was never recorded or acknowledged by any officials. In 1945, the Second World War had just come to a conclusion. 
and life was starting to resume in a functional way. In Canada, Sir Montague Allen had resumed the Allen Cup, which was the Canadian Senior Men's Hockey Championship. The men's team that won the Allen Cup that year, 1945, just right after the war, were invited to represent Canada at the World Hockey Championships in Bergen, Norway. And again, if you look this up, you'll see it says cancelled. The tournament that year, it indicates it was cancelled. But you know what? I'm taking Stewart's old coal miners on this one. They told him that 11 players travelled to Bergen to play hockey in that tournament. It was played on an outdoor rink. It was had to be played during the daytime because there were no lights. And they had the first, I think, sort of Zamboni machine. It was driven by a horse. It was a, a great big iron sleigh-looking thing that had water coming out of, of this pump. But it came out in waves. So if you're an ice maker of any kind, you know that there, there has to be a real consistency to your hand when you're spraying the ice on, from that garden hose onto your back door rink. Because the last thing you want is waves of water. But that was what was in Bergen, Finland. No, Norway. Bergen, Norway, when they went for that game. <clears throat> so there were six teams involved. Sweden, Switzerland a French team, Canada, Finland, and a Czech team. And the story goes that at the end of the tournament, the two final teams playing in the championship title were Canada versus the Czechs. They played the game outside in minus 20 weather with a crisp Norwegian wind blowing and coming right off the sea. And after three periods of intense wide open hockey, the score was tied at 0-0. So you've got these two different types of teams, the Canadians who are dump and chase and playing on an ice that is international ice that is way bigger than what they're used to. And the Czechs who bring the puck up the middle of the neck, they carry it over the blue line. And if they can't get through, they just go back and start again. So these two teams played to a 0-0 tie. <clears throat> so the teams were sent back, one change room with the stove in it, to warm up, both teams in one change room. And they were supposed to come out of the change room, like after 15 minutes, and play a sudden death overtime period to determine a winner. Now, again, the story goes that Sir Montague Allen who had lost two daughters and a son during the war, had traveled to Bergen to watch his Canadian team play. They say it was him who came up with the idea of what happened on the ice that day. So both teams came onto the ice, but instead of lining up to play against each other, they threw their sticks in the middle of the ice. The two captains then tossed the sticks evenly towards both nets. Each player then retrieved their stick and took up positions for the newly assigned team. They changed jerseys at the middle of the ice, and they started to play what Stewart and his old coal miners called the greatest hockey game ever. Because there were no lights, 
<clears throat> and the games were played during the day. And on that day, the game went on for another hour until the sun disappeared. And from what was told, it was a display of unqualified creative hockey driven by the pure bliss and joy of the game. Apparently, the officials were furious and found the idea of two teams sharing a gold medal completely unacceptable. And according to the Cape Breton coal miners, they were, never, they were told to never speak of that event again, and the games were wiped off the record books. So it might sound a little bit like conspiracy theory, but people who are bent on goals and records and rules and regulations and who live by that have difficulty with anything that is not that. And that's that bill of goods that I told you we bought when, when we all bought into that winning equals success. Winning just means you had more points or higher points, or you did something more than somebody else at the end of an allotted time doing an allotted activity. That's all it means. It doesn't mean you're better. It just means in that moment, you scored higher or more. So, <clears throat> I don't know. They say that most stories come from somebody's story. And I'm not here to profess truth or fiction. The great lesson for me in this wonderful story is that great victory just does not require great defeat. And the reason I know that is because World Athletics Championship 2023, Katie Moon and Nina Kennedy shared an emotional pole vault gold medal. The American Olympic gold medalist and her Australian rival both cleared 4.9 meters before they warmly embraced each other and sealed the decision to share the world gold. There is hope. We just have to change our perspectives. We just have to define success as more than winning. You all have a really great Christmas, and I will talk to you again in January, and we'll begin the discussion of changing coaching and all that goes with it. Be well. Well, that's a wrap for this session, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please feel free to tick the like box because that lets me know if anyone out there is listening. You can also find these podcasts on my website, barefootflying.ca. That's B-A-R-E-F-O-O-T-F-L-Y-I-N-G dot C-A. If you want to add your opinion to the discussion, feel free to email me at HelenWrightRugby at gmail.com. That's HelenWrightRugby at gmail.com. Talk to you soon. Be well.